0: Chapter Two. A couple weeks ago, uh, Jeff kicked off um, the book of Esther, and so we um, we are in Esther Chapter Two uh, this morning. We're going to be uh, finishing Chapter Two, looking at Chapter Two, verse uh, nineteen to, to twenty three. Um, about five short verses, a quick um, snippet from the book of Esther uh, that that we're gonna that we're gonna work through this morning. In the early two thousands, there was a young young dude maybe he was probably in his 20s uh maybe mid to late 20s named rudy kurniawan and rudy uh, made a big splash in the um the wine scene uh if you could call it that the wine scene in uh, los angeles rudy was a wine connoisseur kind of a mystery uh dude because he was a young guy who seemed to have endless amounts of cash at his disposal um he broke the world record at a wine auction um selling 24.7 million dollars worth of wine rudy would have dinners with friends and they would drink a hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars uh worth of wine now i'm gonna guess that if any i'm gonna guess that maybe no one in this room understands that life okay like i am a i'm a fine i like a 2019 barefoot okay and so (laughs) so uh, under five dollars okay Um, uh, so I don't understand this world, but this world exists, okay? Um, like I said, they, these people, guys like Rudy, drink $100,000, $200,000 worth of wine, um, at dinner. So Rudy's making a ton of money, he's making a big splash, people don't really know where he comes from. And around this time, there began to be some discrepancies in the wine, especially the wine being sold at auctions. And in particular, they were finding, finding vintages of certain wines from certain vineyards um, dated between 1945 and 1971, and there was only one, you know, small problem, and that's that a uh, wine didn't start coming from that vineyard until 1982, and so um, y- you might think, oh, okay, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, the big deal with that is we're talking about tens of millions of dollars worth of wine being sold that's maybe bogus, fake. One of the Koch brothers, Bill Koch, has a A seller uh, worth uh, probably in the tens of millions of dollars and he began to hire investigators and figure out that some of his wines were fake and maybe he spent millions of dollars on on what i would spend millions of dollars on 2019 barefoot Um, the fbi gets involved rudy becomes a target rudy becomes a target of the investigation and uh, march 2012 they raid rudy's house in california and they find the equivalent of like a meth lab for wine they find empty bottles everywhere in his apartment, um, just this mess, this mess of empty bottles, um, label-making tools um, and kits and equipment. They find uh, corking equipment. They find bottles with equations. You know, put this much of this wine with this much of this wine, and it will create a taste that reflects this kind of wine and this vintage, right, the whole deal. Just this, this obvious uh, it, it was obvious what was going on and what Rudy was doing, creating these fake wines and then selling them for thousands of dollars per bottle. Rudy was the first to ever be convicted of wine fraud in the States. He got sentenced to 10 years, 10 years in prison uh, for concocting these wines and and, uh, and duping people. Now, why would he do this? The obvious answer is money. That's the obvious e- easy answer, right? Money. Why Why do it? Well, I mean— i could make a lot of money but if you watch early footage of rudy there's documentary footage of rudy at dinner and talking with people before he got caught before anyone was on his trail and he's this like pompous guy you know this guy who's at dinner um uncorking bottles worth ten thousand dollars you can just tell that he's this guy who just knows that he's significant You know, he's this new major player in the scene, and he's kind of mysterious, and uh, I think that Rudy, of course, for the money, but I think at much deeper than that, there was a, there was purpose and significance and value that he was finding in being who he was becoming, this, this wealthy person who understood fine wine, you know, And could just dish it out with friends and blow a hundred K like it was no big deal. I think at the core he was driven by this is this is purpose for my life. This is meaning. This is significance. And I know that you and I want the same thing. Our lives may look different and may have gone a different path and hopefully don't go the path of Rudy. But we're very similar to him in that we want purpose. We want significance. We want to matter. We want our lives to, to matter, to make a difference, big or small. We, we long for it. We're desperate for it. And as, as people who, who know the Lord and, and trust God, Christians, we want to know God is at work. It's not just that we want to do anything to make a difference or anything that matters or anything of significance. We find at the core significance and meaning and value in knowing that our lives involve God. That God is at work that God is doing something in my life I want to know that so that I can feel confident In in my life that it matters that I have purpose that I have that I have significance, but it's often um, Something that that eludes us Because life can feel so mundane and it can feel so ordinary and it can feel so mysterious Like it can just feel too ordinary to have anything to do with God and even if it's not mundane, even if it's you live some kind of wild life, it can still feel very mysterious. Like, I don't, I don't really know. Like, what is God doing? Is God doing anything in my life? I don't know. Is he at work? I don't know. I don't know. But this morning, Esther chapter 2, verses 19 to 23, say otherwise. They give us the answer to whether or not God is at work in the mundane of your life, in the ordinary of your life, in the, in the mystery of your life of your life. If you would, please stand with me, and let's read together and hear Esther 2, verse 19. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Than and Teresh, two of the king's units who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on king Ahasuerus or Xerxes and this came to the knowledge of Mordecai and he told it to queen Esther and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai when the affair was investigated and found to be so the men were both hanged on the gallows and it was recorded in the book of the chronicles in the presence of the king Uh, this is the word of the lord you may be seated Father, we pray that you would speak to us in your word. We pray that you would send out your word, that it wouldn't return void, that you would work wonders among us. Through this passage in Esther, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what has happened so far in Esther? What has happened? Where are we at? Let's just get our bearings very quickly. Um, The book of Esther begins with um, Xerxes, this powerful king. Uh, who throws a a party that I think it lasted about six months long, okay? The greatest party you've ever thrown, puny, tiny, insignificant compared to what this guy did. Throws this massive party, and then at the end of it, he says, hey, to conclude this party, I'm going to throw another week-long party. Um, He liked to party. And uh, he calls his queen, Queen Vashti, in to parade her around to show how great he is. And she says, I've had enough and doesn't come this uh, infuriates him, and uh, so he says, all right, I'll just replace Queen Vashti. I'll just get rid of her, and I'll get a new queen. They gather up a lot of women throughout the kingdom. They go through this beautifying process for about a year as they begin to figure out who is going to replace Queen Vashti, and the king is going to end up with a bunch of concubines and a new queen. I know this is the thing that little girls dream of, right? Um, he replaces uh, Queen Vashti, of all people, of all people, with a woman named Esther. Uh, This is a foreign pagan land, a foreign pagan king, but the Jewish people, Israel, has been exiled into this foreign land, and Esther and her father Mordecai um, are Jewish people in this foreign land, and it is to say the least, odd, strange, what in the world is going on that, that Esther is now the queen? Um, so that's, that's where we're at. Now, Mordecai, up to this point, we, we know of Mordecai in this story. We know of Mordecai. He's been present. We keep hearing his name, but he really hasn't done anything. We know of Esther, and we know the crazy that's going on with Esther, that she's now queen. But Mordecai's just kind of been around. Um, in chapter 2, verse 11, it says that every day Mordecai walked in front of the court um, to learn how esther was and what was happening with esther he's just been present he's just been around mordecai what's going on with mordecai now this morning we start to learn a major place that he has in this story look at verse 19 we're going to work through this story to kind of put it all together now when the virgins were gathered together the second time mordecai was sitting at the king's gate now sitting at the king's gate um, the king's gate was where justice was handled and um, mordecai perhaps here has a a a government position he's got a position in the kingdom he's got a certain job that's dealing with justice at the king's gate uh it, it seems that esther hasn't left him in the dust i'm now queen who are you no um maybe perhaps because of esther through esther mordecai has kind of risen the ranks and has this position um and and he's just again he's just there he's just there he's sitting at the king's gate he's got this position um, and then we're even told that, that he's just been there for quite some time. Look at verse 20. We're told this, kind of strange, Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. So we're told Mordecai's just been around. He's wondering what's going on with Esther. Now he's got this position in the kingdom sitting at the king's gate. And and we're told that that um, Esther still as queen is saying, mordecai told me not to reveal that i'm a jew that i'm a part of god's people and so even now as queen um, i'm obeying him just like i obeyed him as a child as my father esther's parents died mordecai took her in and raised her and she's obeying him as dad to this day as queen apparently mordecai has been present in the past as well okay i'm not trying to read too much into this we don't uh, totally, we, we, we don't have hardly any details of their past, but Mordecai, she's been present. Like, he's present as a father. He gained her trust, it seems, that even into adulthood and becoming queen, she's still going, listen, Mordecai, my dad, is saying, don't do this. So I'm, just, I'm just not gonna do it. Then all of a sudden, he's not just present in this story, but he's, at, he's in the right place at the right time. All of a sudden, Mordecai in Esther, the book of Esther, becomes a right place, right time kind of guy. Look at verse 21 in those days as mordecai was sitting at the king's gate big fan and teresh two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold they guarded the private entrance to the king's quarters they became angry and sought to lay hands on king ahasuerus so you have these two guys guarding the threshold they're they're, they're serving the king at his private quarters and they become angry for whatever reason they begin to plot against enrage against the king and they begin to plot to say hey let's Let's overthrow the kingdom. Let's strategize, let's plot, let's plan, and let's lay hands on the king. Let's get rid of him. Let's overthrow the kingdom, and and I would assume let's take over somehow. Let's rule this thing. We're done with this king. Now, something went wrong. They told the wrong person. Uh, Maybe this was a well thought out strategy and they just they thought they could confide in this person They thought this person would be a part of the plan and and they weren't or maybe this is just like a dumb and dumber situation You know, and they talked too loud and just someone overheard them. I don't know Uh, But something went wrong. Look at verse 22 and this came to the knowledge of mordecai and he told it to queen esther and esther told the king in the name of mordecai so it just so happens that Mordecai's place and lot in life is right place, right time to hear of this, this coup, this, this, this plot to overthrow the kingdom. And it just so happens that, that Mordecai has very special access to the queen. I mean, of, of everyone in the kingdom, he's the guy that has her ear if he really needs it. Um, so it just so happens that his daughter is queen. So he tells his daughter, who just so happens to be queen, oddly— who also is able to, of course, be able to talk to the king. Hey, we know we've heard of this plot. Mordecai has heard of this plot to overthrow the kingdom, to have you killed. So what happens? Verse uh, 23, when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. So the king learns of this plan. Now remember, remember who this king is. He, he calls his wife to come, and she says, no, I'm not going to come. And rather than doing some, like, conflict resolution, saying, that's okay, maybe you're just tired. He says, I'll just replace you, and I'll get a queen who will come. That's who we're talking about here. So he learns that, oh, dumb and dumber have plotted to have me executed, good luck, and overthrow my kingdom, good luck. Um, He investigates, he becomes certain of their rebellion, he becomes certain of their sin against him, and he sends them to the gallows. No mercy, no grace no talking no let's work through your anger what can I do for you as king how can we work none of that no 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 I'll have the gallows prepared for you and I'll hang you on it and I'll make a show of you and I'll teach the kingdom um, not to follow in your footsteps so what does Mordecai get for this certainly this king who loves to party He just had someone step in and save the kingdom. Certainly he's going to celebrate at least at minimum a barbecue at minimum, right? Hey, there's ice cream out in the courtyard. You know, if you want to grab something, Mordecai, thank you. You know, this is what he gets. Look at the last verse and it was recorded. What he did was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Wow. What a big deal. You just saved the kingdom, and what we're going to do is we're going to record it in a history book and then put that history book back on the shelf. How anticlimactic. How, I mean, then look at chapter 3. We're not going to get into it, but look at chapter 3, verse 1. The whole book just takes a new turn and just stops talking about what happened. And it goes on like, hey, there's this guy Haman, and Haman is this and that. And this whole story leaves us going, "What, what was that about? What was that about? Why all of a sudden did the story slow down and zoom in on Mordecai and his position and what he heard and how he told the king, and then all of a sudden it's the most anticlimactic response from the king you could possibly expect or get? Just nothing. No honoring, no party, nothing. Just I'll record it in a book and I'll put it back on the shelf to collect dust until someone else does something great for me again. What in the world is going on? This is so mysterious. What? If this story leaves me feeling that way, what is this? What is Mordecai's life? What is Esther's life? What is going on? What's the purpose? What's the significance? What is God up to? If just reading the story feel, makes me feel that way, I can't help but think that Mordecai and Esther probably feel that way. Like they probably ask those kinds of questions because what you have to remember about Esther, this book, it's not that, it's not that we're, we're talking about the span of a week here. This event that we just read, Mordecai uh, uh, protecting the life of the king, nothing happens with this for about five years. Life just goes on. Five years, years and years and years of normal life go on for Esther and Mordecai. You have to think that they would ask the question, what in the world is going on with my life? Why am I queen of all people? what is going on why am i sitting at the king's gate and why did i learn of this plot to overthrow the kingdom and why am i a part god what are you doing how many times have you asked that question how many times have you asked god are you at work in my life how many times have you asked what is my significance and purpose in this life like what am i doing what am i here to do am I making a difference? Can I make a difference? God, are you involved? Are you present at all? How many times have you asked that, not only in your life, but just in this past week? How many times have you asked that very normal question? Um, In the mundane and in the mysteriousness of life, how many times have you asked that? I mean, think about it. Um, We have a bunch of moms who, who just finished what maybe week two of the most surprising weeks of their life called homeschooling. I mean, h- how many moms around Waco have finished that first day, maybe that first hour, and they were like, "God, I need you to come back, please." What is my life? What has happened? What is going on? You know, is God at work in the six thousand diaper changes? I mean, is thats is that it? Is that like, this is my life? Wow, significance, value. How many times have you asked that? Really? Another diaper chain. Okay, oh, another day of wake up, drag the kids out of bed, take them to school, shuffle them around to practice, forget one of them at school, um, make another meal that, that nobody appreciates, go to sleep, do it again. What is my life? W- w- what am I doing? God, are you involved? Or how many times have you asked that question as you, as you sit and twiddle your thumbs and wonder, am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to have kids? Are we ever going to be able to have kids? God, are you at work in my life? In the mundane or the mysterious or both? Are you at work? The mundane realities of our lives can not only feel mundane, but it hurts more when it feels mysterious. Like, I, could, I can handle, I think, a mundane life if I feel like on a day-to-day basis, God is just moving and shaking and using me. But, but a mundane life that's also mysterious, that I feel like I'm not sure what God's doing, and I just don't understand the, the significance and the purpose and the value of my life, that's hard. Is God at work in the mundane and the mysterious? I think that so much of the upheaval we see going on in our country right now if you want to try to analyze it and figure out what's going on politics and policies and all that stuff aside What's going on in the human heart? I think that this gets gets to the bottom of it And pretty close um, We're desperate for purpose We're desperate for meaning. We're desperate to feel like we're making a difference. We're desperate for it. we long for it And the human heart will will, will even trample over truth and reason and reality As long as it feels like it has a purpose and it has meaning, and it has value. The human heart will will set something on fire so that it can find its purpose in being someone who puts out fires. We're desperate for it. We're desperate for purpose and meaning. I mean, we've seen this with, with talk of discussion around COVID and, and, and the coronavirus. Have you noticed how the conversation around COVID, pretty much from day one, just escalates way too quickly? You're like, what? Whoa. You know, it's like... um hey, I think it's okay that that I take my mask off when I'm in my car alone, you know? And then the other side is like, yeah, I would think that was okay too if I wasn't a murderer, (laughs) you know? Or it's like, I'm okay with the government rules and guidelines and and how the government has stepped in. It's like, sure, I'd be okay with the government doing that if I was a socialist, communist, freedom-hating person you're like wow this really escalated quickly i thought we were just trying to talk here you know what's going on there it's not a lack of intellect maybe just maybe i would argue that maybe it has to do with even the coronavirus could be like a ball on its tee to finally find purpose and meaning i'm someone who champions human life more than most right we're desperate for it we're desperate for it. i want to know that god's at work in my life and i'm and i'm making a difference and i have a purpose um, I think this is why I catch myself when I when I, when my kids are playing in front of me, I'm done with work. I go home and they're they're playing in their room and um, and I'm on my phone. You know, I'm 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 reading an article. I'm still working. I'm researching something. I'm trying to, to I'm texting and debating someone on something, you know, and I catch myself and I'm like, I've got three kids. God made gave to me said father them. And I'm just on my phone. Because I think, well, this is a bit mundane. I, I don't know exactly what God's doing here, but I know that in this conversation with this person on Facebook, I'm making a difference, you know. I'm desperate for that. I think the human heart is desperate for it. So we're asking, what is my life? Is God is God at work in the mystery and mundane? And this story says, more than you and I know. More than you and I know, God is at work in the mystery and the mundane— Mordecai's actions are anticlimactically recorded in a history book, and that history book goes on a shelf, and we don't learn of this story or hear about it, it doesn't take any part in reality until about five years later. Five years later, the clock just turns around for five years until this story has any part to do with, with reality. Uh, over the course of those five years, Mordecai gains an enemy named Haman and Haman uh, wants Mordecai to honor him and bow down to him and Mordecai won't do it and so Mordecai hates uh, excuse me Haman hates Mordecai and uh, rather than just kind of like a a rash kind of outburst of anger against Mordecai Haman has some self-control and he strategizes he says you know I'm gonna I'm gonna wipe out Mordecai and I'm gonna wipe out all of Mordecai's people you know that'll show them And so he makes this plan. He creates a gallows 75 feet tall to put Mordecai on. And and he's going to wake up. This is years and years later. He is planning, hey, tomorrow morning I'm going to go talk to the king and I'm going to get approval to get rid of Mordecai. And that night, of all nights, the king can't sleep. Just tossing and turning and he, he can't sleep. And so he says, he doesn't say this, but he says this. Uh, He says get me the most boring book you can find to put me to sleep and they say deal i'll go get a history book All right That joke is designed if you teach history for you. It's a joke Um, Go get a history book. All right. I'll go get a history book You can read it and put yourself back to sleep And so they get this book of memorable deeds and certainly mordecai's actions are not the only thing recorded in that book but for some reason The night before the king is probably going to give approval to get rid of Mordecai, he can't sleep. And for some reason, this book is picked. And for some reason, the part that he chooses to read is what Mordecai did for him. And for some reason, that night, Haman is hanging out like in the courtyard or something. And so the king talks to Haman, and he says, I want you to parade this guy, Mordecai, who saved me, who saved the kingdom. I want you to parade him around the community saying, the king honors Mordecai. The king honors Mordecai. This is the night before Haman is going to go to the king and surely get approval from the king to execute Mordecai. And literally the opposite happens. Haman has to walk around parading him as honored by the king honored by the kingdom is god at work in the mystery yes god is at work in the mystery god is at work in the mundane god is at work in the surprising reality that you are having to homeschool your kids right now god is at work in admittedly very mysterious ways in diaper changes very mysterious but he's at work And he's at work in the next one and the next one and the 6,000th one. God is at work in yet another day of just repetitive carpool the kids, take them to school, go back to school to get the one I forgot, go make the meal, go take them to practice, go to bed, wake up and do it again. God is at work in the mundane. God is at work in the mystery. God is at work right now while you wait to figure out, am I going to get married? God is at work right now as you wait to figure out, are we going to ever have kids? Are we going to have another kid? God is at work in the mystery and in the mundane. Now, what exactly is God doing? What exactly is God doing in the mundane or in the mystery of your life? I don't exactly know. And neither did Mordecai and Esther for years. What was that about getting recorded in the book of memorable deeds? I don't know. I don't know years What exactly is god doing? I don't know. You probably don't know But while I don't know what god is doing exactly and precisely in your life. I know what he did Exactly and precisely for you the king in this story The king in this story hears of two guys with a plot to overthrow the kingdom He hears of two guys planning to rage against him in anger, plotting against him, and they want to get rid of the king, have him executed somehow, and they want to take over the kingdom because they just would rule it better. And the king in this story um, learns of this, investigates it, and becomes sure, certain of their sin, certain of their rebellion. And the king in this story has no grace, no mercy, and um, only swift exacting justice at least the justice that he considers justice, and he sends them to the gallows. But the king, the king, the king that that Esther never mentions directly, but the king whose fingerprints are all over Esther, the king knows of people who rage against him and plot against him and think, I would make a much better king than God. I could rule the kingdom, and I could figure this world out, and I could sort this all out much better than him. And the king becomes certain of your sin and my sin. He is certain and sure of your sin and my sin, of our rebellion against him, seeking, desiring to overthrow him and his kingdom. Um, But unlike the king that we see directly in this story, the king is a king of grace, and mercy. And sure of your sin, certain of your sin, he didn't send you to the gallows. The king took on your humanity. And Jesus, the king, set his face dead set on the gallows, on the cross that's reserved for you, deserved for you, That you alone are worthy of not him, but he set his face on that gallows and he the father sent him there The father on a mission sent him to the cross and jesus willingly walked straight to The cross in grace and in mercy for your sin and for your rebellion Because he's a king of grace and he's a king of mercy and he's a king of rescue and he's a king of salvation And at the cross, God definitively answered, if you matter. He definitively answered if you are of value to him. He definitively answered if he's at work in your life. If he would go to the cross for you, I promise, the Bible promises, he's at work right now in your life. I promise, the Bible promises, God promises I didn't go to the cross for you just to leave you in the mundane, mysterious Monday or Tuesday you're dealing with. Jesus went to the cross definitively showing you your value to him and how much he loves you and how much he cares for you and how at work he is right now in your life. Even if you don't understand it, even if it's mysterious, and especially if it's mundane. That is what the king did for you. He, um, he went to the cross, and now you can live life. As one whom you hear the echo of all of heaven saying, this is one whom the king honors. This is one whom the king loves. This is one whom the king cares for. He has worked for you, he has worked in you, and he is working now. Whether you know it or understand it or not. Let's pray.